If you're new to the valley or just new to rockfish, what we like to do here is work through books of the Bible and unpack what God has said to us there. Tonight, however, we're going to take a field trip away from what we've been studying in the book of Mark and do a quick flyover of the first chapter of Luke. So that's where we're going to be is in Luke chapter 1. That's Luke chapter 1, and we're going to try to cover most of the material therein. And as we do that, I would like you to keep this question in mind. What is Thanksgiving? What is Thanksgiving? I hope to persuade you that Thanksgiving is a worshipful response of faith. In fact, that's our one big thing today. Thanksgiving is a worshipful response of faith. We're going to work through Luke 1 in four parts. Zechariah, Mary, Zechariah again, and us. Zechariah, Mary, Zechariah again, and us. Before we get started, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that you would use this time to shape us more and more into Christ-like people. Father, use your word to train us to renounce all worldly passions and ungodliness and to live for your glory. To live godly lives. To represent you well. We thank you. We praise you. Speak to us now. Amen. Go with me at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. Both were advanced in years. So Zechariah is a priest and he has a wife, Elizabeth. Both of them are walking in obedience to God's command, his design for their lives. Yet they find themselves childless, which in their culture is viewed as kind of a curse from God and typically the result of sin. And so they would have been looked down on by everybody else in their community. Everyone would have assumed that their childlessness was due to some fault within them. Even though that wasn't the case. Now while he was serving as priest, verse 8, before God when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. I mean, this isn't your typical day at work for our friend Z here. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. The angel appears. Zechariah is afraid. This makes good sense to us. And the angel says to Zechariah, Do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. But he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. 
And he will turn many of the children of Israel away from their sin to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Gabriel tells Zechariah, not only will you have a child, but this child will point to the Messiah. He will be the Elijah that is to come. And Zechariah said to the angel, make a, make a mental note how Zechariah responds right here in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Zechariah is asking for a sign to prove that what the angel is saying to him is true. And the angel responds, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe in my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Gabriel says here to Zechariah, I can't believe that you are hearing this prophecy from the lips, from the mouth of an angel, and you still don't believe. You should be giving thanks. You should be rejoicing over this good news. But instead, you're looking for a sign. Oh, you of little faith. Well, I'll, I'll give you a sign then, Zechariah. Here's the sign that you want. You will not be able to speak or hear until this kid is born. Zechariah doesn't rejoice with thanksgiving because he does not believe. And this is a guy who's been praying for a child for years now, I imagine. And he's praying for one when Gabriel shows up and tells him, your prayer has been answered. It's, it's going to happen. The favor of the Lord is upon you. Yet Zechariah doesn't believe. So how am I supposed to know this? I mean, an angel shows up and tells you that should be, be enough, right? But, but not for, for Zechariah. Why, why doesn't he believe? I think he doesn't believe because after years of praying and feeling empty and being alienated from the community as a result of his childlessness, he had become a bit of a cynic. He'd started praying with no expectation, no belief. He, he can't even believe that something good would happen to him. I think we can relate. I mean, how many of us have prayed for something and not gotten it? Right? We've all felt empty at times, and if we're honest, resented singing that old hymn, count your blessings, name them one by one. Because we felt as if we were cursed rather than blessed. Thankfully, we don't get everything that we pray for. After all, prayer isn't about us, but about God reordering our loves so that Jesus is the locus of our thinking and at the center of our hearts. 
I think oftentimes God intentionally withholds what we ask for because that very thing, if it were given to us, would cause us to go into disarray. It would make our loves disorderly. In other words, oftentimes we don't get what we want because what we want would be harmful to our relationship with Jesus. To give us our desires would be to make us spiritually unhealthy. For example, a child might ask a parent to have ice cream and cookies for every meal. In fact, a husband may ask a wife, in my case, for cookies for every meal. I do love cookies. But a loving parent or a loving wife is going to tell the kid no. Not because they don't love their child, but because they do love their child. They have the kid's best interest in mind. Kid doesn't understand why he can't have ice cream for every meal. But the parent knows that that would not be for the kid's good. Likewise, our Heavenly Father is omnibenevolent. He is completely good and He always does good. He has our eternal health in mind when He governs our lives through good times, through bad times, through the blah times, through trying times, through empty times. And God has Zechariah's best interest in mind. He had him in mind when he determined to leave him childless until he and his wife Elizabeth were advanced in years. That's the Bible's way of saying they were old and well-seasoned. For many years, Zechariah couldn't see God's reasons for allowing his circumstances to be what they were. And he began to feel empty. His prayers were going unanswered. But God had more than Zechariah's temporal happiness in mind. God was concerned with bringing Himself glory. And He would, through Zechariah and Elizabeth's miracle son. Brothers and sisters, No matter what circumstances we're going through in life, we can pray to God knowing that, like a loving parent, He will hear our requests and give us that which is for our good and His glory. And so we should pray not as unexpectant cynics, but with great expectation and thanksgiving, knowing that God is at work in our lives, even if we can't put our finger on exactly how He is doing that work. Friends, pray expectantly. Next, our text shifts to look at Mary's life. So drop down to verse 26 with me. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now here's our angel friend Gabe showing up again, not not out of the blue. Well, actually, it's completely out of the blue. But note how Mary's response is similar to Zechariah's. Verse 29, But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Gabriel is laying out an even more believable truth to Mary than he did to Zechariah. But notice how she responds differently than Zechariah here. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Mary believes. She says, Okay, how's this all going to go down? What do I need to go? Whereas Zechariah asks, Hey, how can I be sure? not certain that this will happen. How do I know? And Mary is saying, how can I help? You see the difference? Mary's response is one of belief, and Zechariah's response is one of unbelief. Gabriel's answer to Mary is astonishing. In verse 35, he says to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. You're going to be carrying the Son of God in your womb, Mary. This is astounding. Gabriel continues, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary serves as an example of how faith responds to the word of God. She believes, she trusts, and she obeys. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Until we can say to God from the bottom of our hearts, Thy will be done. Let it be done to me according to your will, according to your word. We're never going to know true peace. True peace is found only in submission to Jesus. She believes, she trusts, and she obeys. She goes to see her cousin. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Verse 45 is the key here. Remember, Luke is writing to us so that we can have certainty about the work and person of Jesus. What Luke wants us to know is that God keeps His promises and that He's kept His promise in Jesus. Luke wants us to know that we can take hold of the promise of eternal life together with God in the new heavens and the new earth where everything is awesome and right and good and pure. 
We take hold of it simply by believing. Simply by faith. Mary believes. And she bursts forth in joyful praise to God. Mary worships. Mary encounters God. And as a result, gives thanks. Thanksgiving is a worshipful response of faith. And her response of faith is one of thanks as she says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for He has looked on my humble estate. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is His name and His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. God is keeping His promises. He's good. Oh, my soul magnifies the Lord, Mary says. And like Mary, we ought respond to good things with joy and praise. Because at the end of the day, praise is the culmination of joy. Our joy isn't really complete. You can't fully enjoy something without first praising it and talking about it with somebody else. Did you see that movie? Did you hear that song? Have you read that book? Mary's response to the good news is joyful gratitude expressed in praise offered to God as worship. Mary's response to the good news is joyful gratitude expressed in praise offered to God as worship. It's thanksgiving. Likewise, our response to Jesus living the life we should have lived and dying the death we should have died ought be joyful gratitude expressed in praise offered to God as worship. Our response to the gospel should be thanksgiving. A worshipful response. Faith. It's important to note also that Mary is giving thanks here, even though she knows that life is not going to be all peaches and cream as a result of this divine pregnancy. I mean, for real, who is going to believe her story? It's quite unbelievable. Teenage girl engaged to be married winds up pregnant, claims it's the result of an act of God. Are you serious? No one in her community is buying that. No one's believing that. Mary knows that she is about to endure hardships, she's going to be looked down on by most. She's going to be called harlot. I mean, eventually she's going to, she doesn't know this part, but she's going to ride a donkey while pregnant. She's going to give birth in a barn. And her son will start a revolution and be crucified right in front of her eyes. Yet, despite the storm she sees on the horizon, despite the trials, that she knows she is about to enter into. She gives thanks. 
She believes God. She trusts Him. We all have gone through or will go through hard times. Perhaps some here tonight are experiencing difficult circumstances even now. Not so different than than Mary. Our responses to trials can be like Mary's. Because we have the same access to the same trustworthy Savior. We know the same God. If we have Jesus, we can give thanks no matter what the circumstance. Because He is our true treasure. No one will take Him away from us. Do you have Jesus? If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that He is Lord, are you walking with Him? When you look out and see storms on the horizon, do you smile? Give thanks to God knowing that you have Jesus. And no matter what else happens, He will preserve you. He will govern all things together for your good. We look back at Zechariah again after some long, long months, I imagine. And finally here we're going to see him believe God's promise. Verse 57, And the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by that name. They made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted the boy to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. John, who has not spoken or heard since the day in the temple, he writes down the same seemingly random name that the mother wants to call their son. This is pretty amazing. And it signifies that his unbelief has now become belief. Verse 64, And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke blessing. This word could also be translated as gave thanks or praise to. Spoke blessing to God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. God's kindness and His correction both lead us to thanksgiving. God is kind to Mary. She believes and His favor is on her. And this leads her into a song of praise and thanks. God is kind to Zechariah. He doesn't believe. Yet God lovingly disciplines him. And this correction leads him into speaking praise and giving thanks to God. God's kindness and His correction both lead us into thanksgiving. God is at work in our circumstances, whether good or bad or empty or blah. God is working all things together for the good of His children, for the glory of His name. 
We've said it before, but it's worth repeating. I think worry is thinking that God will get it wrong, and bitterness is thinking God did get it wrong. Instead of getting worried or, or bitter, give thanks, friends, knowing that God always gets everything right. Even if we can't understand how He's at work in our circumstances. I mean, this is, of course, easier said than done. How many of us find our attention continually taken away from giving thanks to Jesus and put on worry or on being bitter? Look back with me at verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among the people. I think Elizabeth provides a good example to us here. We can safely conclude that Elizabeth was reproached, shamed, disgraced by the people in her community because of her childlessness. And I imagine that she was at least tempted to become bitter at her circumstance. You think of what it was like. Daily, she prayed for a child. Daily, she remained barren. Daily, she was ashamed and reproached among the people. But one day when she was advanced in years and has all but given up, she finds that the Lord had her best interest in mind all along. He would take away her shame. God didn't get it wrong. He was just waiting so that He could bless her profoundly in ways that she could not yet understand. What's this, what's this all mean for, for us? I think it means that we should respond to all of our circumstances with faith, giving praise to God as an act of worship in response to His lavish grace, His perfect providence, and His endless love. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What's God's will for you? That you would respond to Him with thanksgiving, that your response of faith would be one of worship and praise and of giving thanks. Like Elizabeth, we are to give thanks when we feel empty and lonely. Unlike Zechariah, we're to give thanks when it seems like nothing good will happen for us. Like Zechariah, we are to give thanks when we receive the Lord's correction. Like Mary, we are to give thanks when we are experiencing tremendous blessing or are in the midst of trials. Why, why give thanks in every circumstance? So that we don't lose sight of our eternal circumstance in the shadow of our temporary situation. So that we keep an eternal perspective by keeping our eyes on Jesus. I mean, our eyes on earth are a blip on a radar. They're a dot on the sheet of paper. While eternity is an eternal line that goes on forever and ever. If you just want to picture a sheet of paper with a dot, that's your temporary situation. And a line that goes on forever off the edges of the paper, that is eternity. And friends, we live for the line, not for the dot. Giving thanks reminds us of that. Give thanks so that our hearts don't whore after false gods and go after idols. Give thanks so that our loves are rightly ordered, that we keep Jesus first. 
See, thanksgiving will show you what you worship. If you can only give thanks when you have a comfortable amount of money in your bank account, then Jesus isn't your security. Money is. Which means Jesus isn't your God. Money is. If you can only give thanks when your career is going well, then your identity isn't built on Jesus, but on career, thus revealing Jesus isn't your God. Career is. If I can only give thanks when my children are living up to my expectations, hopes, and dreams, then my joy is contingent on my children rather than in Christ, thus revealing Jesus isn't my God, my children are. If I can only give thanks when I'm experiencing relational bliss with my significant other, then my happiness is based on my relationship rather than on Jesus, thus revealing Jesus isn't my God, my significant other is. If I can only give thanks when I feel like I'm doing everything well, then my value is based on my performance rather than Jesus' performance, thus revealing Jesus isn't my God, I am. If I can only give thanks when I can control others and the things around me, then my peace is dependent on having power instead of resting in the power of Jesus. Thus revealing Jesus isn't my God, control power is. Thanksgiving will show you what you worship because it is a worshipful response of faith. What are you most thankful for? That's probably what you worship or what you might be tempted to worship. What you're most thankful for is where your faith is. Whatever it is in your life that if you lost it would cause you to be unthankful or unable to give thanks, that thing is your functional Savior. It is what you are looking to for happiness, peace, security, identity, value, whatever it is. And that functional Savior, career, money, people, power, will fail you. Because career, money, people, power, whatever it is, they all make crummy gods. All these things make terrible, terrible gods. They will let you down. Jesus will not. Jesus is the only God worthy of your worship and thanksgiving. He's the only God with any power. He's the only one that can live up to the role of being God. Jesus is the reason that we're able to give thanks in all circumstances because our peace and joy depend entirely upon Him. He is the secret to being content in all circumstances, in times of plenty, in times of want, in every time in between. We give thanks in all circumstances because our circumstance of being hidden with Christ in God never, ever changes We can face all circumstances because we have eternal life, eternal relationship with Jesus. Give thanks because Jesus took away our reproach and our shame before God by taking our sins upon Himself on the cross. We give thanks because God has kept His promise to save us from evil and bring us into relationship with Himself. He died so that we might die to self and sin. He raised and lives so that we might live with Him and for Him. Non-Christian, you can have relationship with God. You need only to place your faith in Jesus to take hold of the promise of life. Christian, 
get your heart's loves rightly ordered by giving thanks to God for His kept promise. Keep your heart's loves in order by keeping Jesus as your first love through thanksgiving. A worshipful response. Faith. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, for your kindness, your faithfulness to us. We ask that you would bless us and help us to go this week thinking about that which we are ultimately thankful for. You. Lord, our thankfulness for friends and for family and for football and for food and for all these other things ultimately finds its praise, its uh, culmination in you. These gifts lead us to worship you, the great gift giver. So God, help us to treasure you above all else. And do enjoy all these things under your glory by giving you thanks for them. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.